0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Andrew Sheen from the San Antonio Military Medical Center. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Albert Lynn from the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Lynn's paper entitled Labral Morphology and Number of Preoperative Dislocations Are Associated with Recurrent Instability After Arthroscopic Bankart Repair was published in the April edition of Arthroscopy Journal. Albert, we've had Jim Bradley on here a couple times, and so it's great to have another pit guy on the podcast. Welcome and thanks for joining me.
1: Andy, thanks so much for um for having me on this. I'm really honored to um to be uh part of this uh, podcast um and uh really um uh, excited to uh you know to be reconnected with you uh through the podcast uh and to share uh, our insights at uh at Pit.
0: Let's get right to it. This is a really interesting paper. We spent a lot of time thinking about bone loss in this setting, which is unquestionably important, but you guys spent a lot of time looking at the soft tissues, the labrum and the capsule and the capsule volume. What got you and your group thinking about looking at these parameters in this setting?
1: You know, the, uh, the initial premise for studying this, uh, and it's, it's been a, um, a real um, passion of mine actually too. Uh, to really understand why you know, in twenty to thirty years, even despite by technology getting better over that period of time or shoulder stabilization, why we continue to have relatively high fa- failure rates that's pretty consistent uh and you know in the you know, and, you know as well as uh, uh, as all of us the you know the recurrence rates um ten to twenty percent, which I think are pretty high, so i I feel like we are are missing some parameters in addition to all the things we, we currently understand, of which you mentioned bone loss is definitely uh, unquestionably important. Um, other other factors, and that other factors is typically you know something anatomic, and you know both you and I share Dr. Fu as a mentor, and you know he's, his his passion has been really studying sort of the anatomy behind ACL and individualized surgery, and I think the same kind of thought process is uh is uh it needs to be translated over uh to the shoulder as well and some of those parameters include things that that we may not really understand well and those include you know um both soft tissue and bony kind of morphologic factors and uh and so you know our question with this particular paper was you know does capsular volume matter does label volume matter um, and, you know, some other interests that we're looking into also are on this theme, you know, does bony morphology matter, uh, such as, you know, a shallow glenoid, uh, a larger pneumo head, um, version, you know, you and I have looked at that as well, um, whether version matters in you know, specific bone loss situations. Uh, so we're really just trying to fit all the pieces in the puzzle that really contribute to instability. And I, you know, it's my own personal belief that These anatomic factors are are really important, Um, and so we're just trying to fill in those uh, those missing pieces.
0: Capsular volume has been assessed in previous papers. How did your team quantify the capsular volume in these cases? Were they all done on MR arthrograms, or can these measurements be made on regular MRIs?
1: So we we measured the um, the capsule or volume um, using a 3D software program called Vitria. Um, it is something that um, our you know our talented MSK radiologists, uh, two of uh, two of them, uh, helped us uh, with this. And that you basically take an MRI, um, you put it through the software, and it gives you uh, essentially a volume size as well as uh, both of the capsule and the labrum. Um, now, I think it is possible to do plain MRIs, but the issue is is that you can't get a true sense of, um, you know, the actual volume within the uh, the joint without contrast. And so, uh, for this study, because we were looking specifically at both the capsule and the labrum, uh, we decided to um, uh, to use um, you know uh, only MRI arthrograms uh, so that we could kind of get a more true sense. Um, and then, in addition, the contrast also helps to Distinguish structures from each other, and so you know, labrum uh, volume was something we were really wanted to tease out. Uh, and so, without the contrast, it would have been hard to tease that out uh, with the uh, you know with the um, the joint uh, and uh, the cartilage and, and bone structures.
0: Is the volume of contrast for the arthrograms standardized from study to study, or does the Vitrea program able to
1: Standardize or normalize for those variables. Yeah, so that's a great question. I, um, you know, obviously we we had to do this study in a retrospective fashion. So uh, these, you know, as you know, when we when we um, prescribed an MRI um essentially we were relying on our MSK colleagues uh, to inject the contrast in. Uh, and so, uh, so the the first uh, answer to um, the amount of contrast would be that that wasn't controlled for uh and so the software um really can't you know uh calibrate that um and so that um uh, is uh potentially a confounding issue uh with sort of estimating volume size uh, and so you know we we basically uh, took the mi uh with the standard contrast that a radiologist was used to um uh, to perform the procedure
0: so why don't you give us the one or two main take-home points from your study
1: so you know i think the the two the two major things that we found in this paper um, are that um, when the laboring volume is small and we basically uh, define that as um, uh, as a a smaller uh, volume or width of the Cartilage on the glenoid. So anything that was um, under that width, we determined uh, were defined as a small uh, labrum. So individuals who had uh, a small labrum controlling for the number of preoperative dislocations uh, were about three times, had a three times higher risk of sustaining recurrence after a bankrupt repair. Uh, and these were all in patients who were uh, on track lesions. And so we didn't have that as a confounding as well. So small labral volume seems to be. A risk factor for individuals for um, uh, for um, uh, instability or recurrence uh, following primary repair. So that's 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 uh, point one. Uh, point two, which you know we demonstrated, which is not new, is that the number of preoperative dislocations that an individual has um, before undergoing a primary bank card is a significant risk factor for recurrence afterwards. Now that's been shown by other um, uh you know studies of retinolins has demonstrated that in others um but it's uh another um this is just another study that kind of goes along with that uh in my old, you know we've we've been doing some uh work in the lab to uh to also um look at this particular issue and uh and i think this is multifactorial including plastic deformation a capsule um uh, after multiple dislocations uh, that's permanent uh, and uh, certainly uh, can result in uh, increased propensity for dislocation. Um, the third thing that we saw here, which you know was surprising to us, um, was that the capsule volume did not seem to play uh, that uh, a role in terms of recurrence. Um, that could be multifactorial. Again, we kind of discussed sort of maybe some of the limitations of um, of estimating capsule volume on the arthrogram. Uh, in addition you know could you have an instance in which um uh capsular injury occurs but it doesn't affect the volume i think that could potentially be uh you know that that could be a possibility as well but the capsular volume didn't seem to play much of a role
0: besides that fact was there anything else about what y'all found that surprised you
1: um you know i think um uh the fact that um uh, the, the fact that we found that labor volume uh was um a key contributor to this, I think um, you know, we 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 were wondering whether that, whether that would be a case. I think it was surprising that it was um it wasn't just a subtle finding. I mean these individuals have three times the likelihood of redislocating after surgery. So I think that surprised me a little bit um in terms of the uh, the effect um uh of that labor volume can uh, potentially have uh, on our currents, um, and then you know I, I was I was expecting that these individuals would have uh, the individuals who had um, uh, redislocations would have a higher uh, or would have a larger capsular volume. So I think I think that we did not show. Um, so I was a little bit more surprised regarding that finding.
0: So given what you found after doing this study, how have these results, if at all, affected the way? that you approach glenohumeral stability, First time dislocator, someone with not a whole lot of bone loss, is it that these findings are maybe adding or lowering your threshold for doing something extra in addition to just a regular primary arthroscopic bank cart, are you more likely to do a remplissage? How are you using these results in your practice now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, you know, I, I kind of mentioned in the beginning that we're trying to fit, you know, these all these little pieces into uh, the big picture, uh, the, big tr- the big picture, meaning how can we lower recurrence rates. And, yeah, I think this is just one piece of that. I think, you know, um, if you see an individual, let's say, who has a very small labor volume, might want to consider, okay, um you know, should you do something else here, maybe add an emphaage even if it's not a uh, off track lesion um or do you consider something a little bit more aggressive, maybe an open bank heart, um some bone augmentation procedure uh and you know I think you know I think it's important to note that this is just one kind of piece of the puzzle, and remember we have all the other risk factors the demographic risk factors, the activity level um and you know um and you know there's some interesting stuff that we're working on right now where there are other factors maybe retroversion um doesn't you know maybe it matters uh, uh, in individuals who have some bone loss um maybe that increases the risk of a primary bankrupt failure um and uh or maybe a more shallow glenoid um has uh some risk factors for recurrence too so i think it's you know Again, I think in isolation, uh, if that's the only factor that we see, it may not. You know, it may or may not change our decision making. But I think if you look at a high-risk individual uh, that's, you know, maybe has uh, a near-track lesion where they're technically on track but they're very close to being off track. Maybe they have a little subcritical bone loss. They have less, You know, where um, they have increased uh I think all of these things we're trying to figure out, you know, what what's the key key factors, and again, so I think another piece of the puzzle. But yes, I think you know, uh, small room with in combination with perhaps many different uh, factors, I think you, you might want to consider something different. But um, you know, and uh, you're you're absolutely right. The I think the one issue here is that we, you know we're putting these um, MRIs through this program, which is not right now um a standardized procedure so it's not like our radiologists go through and just calculate label volume on everybody and so um i do think that if we're able to do that in a more standard fashion then yes i think our paper demonstrates that if you have uh in isolation just a small uh labrum uh, you might want to consider you know augmenting it with something else um uh and you know, first time dislocation maybe you would augment it with just one maybe a multiple dislocator with small label volume. Maybe you want to consider something a little bit more robust.
0: Like this is all really great work, Albert. You hinted at it earlier, but we know that failure rates after arthroscopic stabilization remain unacceptably high. And so uh kudos to you and your group for for doing a deep dive and trying to peel back, you know, another layer of the onion and and round out our understanding of this difficult problem. Well, that's going to do it for this podcast, Dr. Lynn. Thanks again so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Dr. Lynn's paper entitled "Labor Morphology and Number of Preoperative Dislocations Are Associated with Recurrent Instability After Arthroscopic Art Repair" was recently published in the April edition of the Arthroscopy Journal and can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you all for joining us, and have a good evening.